Hello, it's Friday, the 19th of January, and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang Woo. North Korea claims to have tested an underwater nuclear weapon system in development, a response to recent joint naval exercises by South Korea, the US, and Japan. We'll have more details in news briefing shortly. For weekly economy review, we delve into the Yun administration's proposal to scrap a planned capital gains tax on investments, as well as delay changes to a workplace safety law. And coming up for Movie Spotlight, our critics discuss their recommendations for what to watch in Korea this weekend, Dumb Money and The Old Oak. We have all that and more on Korea 24. North Korea claimed on Friday that it conducted a test in the East Sea of an underwater nuclear weapon system it is developing. Pyongyang said that this second provocation in less than a week was a necessary step after the joint naval drills of South Korea, the US and Japan on Wednesday. Our KBS World Radio news editor, Koo Hee-jin, joins us in the studio now to examine North Korea's assertions as well as our other headlines of the day. Hee-jin, hello. Hello, jang Now, the test of a so-called underwater drone comes one year after a similar test. What can you tell us of the North's statement? Well, North Korea's defence ministry said through its official Korean Central News Agency on Friday that allies' uh, drills uh, posed a threat to the regime's national security. The underwater weapon system called the Hale 523 was tested in the East Sea as part of the regime's efforts to deter hostile military moves, such as the trilateral drills the Allies agreed to in December. The test comes almost a year after the regime released photos of the test of its Hale 1 that uh, appeared to show a submersible uh, projectile cruising below the ocean surface before detonating. And although Friday's uh, announcement lacked any elaboration on details or results of the test, it further ramps up tensions on the Korean Peninsula, coming after the solid-fuel hypersonic intermediate-range missile the regime tested last Sunday. Indeed, the test of the IRBM drew sharp criticism from the Allies, who called a UN Security Council meeting over the North's recent spate of provocations on Thursday, casting concern over not just ballistic missile developments, but uh, but also a threats emanating from the regime. Uh, Such threats are projected to worsen as North Korea bolsters its ties with Russia on the back of a visit to the country by Pyongyang's foreign minister Choi Sun-hee from Sunday to Thursday. The minister met with her Russian counterpart Sergei Lavrov to discuss continued military uh, cooperation and follow-up measures to agreements. The two also reportedly discussed a visit to the North by Russian President uh, Vladimir Putin, who met uh, uh, briefly with Che on Tuesday. Can you tell us more about the UN Security Council closed-door session on North Korea issues that you mentioned earlier as well? Well, the Security Council uh, convened a meeting regarding non-proliferation and North Korea at 10 a.m. at the UN headquarters in New York at the request of South Korea, the US and Japan. Since beginning its two-year term as a non-permanent member on the UNSC on the 1st of January, South Korea has been able to raise awareness of security threats posed by North Korea and call for responses from the international community in council meetings exclusive to member states. Thursday's meeting reportedly covered Pyongyang's recent launch of a claimed hypersonic missile, uh, its aggressive rhetoric against Seoul and the North's threat 
to uh, global security in the session. South Korea uh, reportedly noted changes in the North's uh, nuclear policy over the past two to three years and stressed the need to pay attention to the range of threats posed by the regime that undermine global peace beyond just intercontinental, uh, intercontinental ballistic missile launches. Turning our eyes back home now, the fourth Winter Youth Olympic Games are set to kick off shortly in Gangwon province for a 14-day run. Uh, Tell us more about this event and what to expect. Well, the opening ceremony under the theme of Let Us Shine will be held simultaneously at 8pm at the Gangneung Oval, the, which is the speeding, uh, speed skating venue, and the Pyeongchang Dome for some 13,000 spectators. About 1,800 athletes from 79 countries will compete in 15 discipline, uh, disciplines, including alpine skiing, the biathlon, uh, curling and skeleton at four cities and counties in Gangwon province, including Gangneung, Pyeongchang, Cheongsan and Hwengsong. This is the first time for Winter Youth Olympics to be held outside Europe since the inaugural Games in 2012 with uh, Innsbruck in Austria, Lillehammer in Norway and Lausanne in Switzerland hosting the uh, sporting event. Uh, The Youth Olympics is a multi-sports event for athletes between 15 and 18 organized by the International Olympic Committee held every four years in the winter and summer consistent with the current uh, Olympics Games format. In other news, Seoul Metropolitan Police Agency Commissioner Kim Gwangho was indicted on Friday on charges of professional negligence in connection with the Itaewon crowd crush incident in 2022. Can you elaborate? Well, the Seoul Western District Prosecutor's Office indicted the commissioner without detention over his poor response to the incident that transpired on Halloween weekend two years ago that ultimately resulted in 159 deaths. According to the prosecution, Kim is responsible for increasing the number of casualties on the day of the disaster by not deploying an appropriate police force and failing to take necessary measures. The decision comes as a prosecutor Committee of Outside Experts on Monday recommended prosecutors indict Kim in a 9-6 vote. Police wrapped up their probe and referred the case to the Seoul Western District Prosecutor's Office on the 13th of January last year. Meanwhile, the National Assembly on Friday sent to the government a special bill that aims to create a probe team to shed light on the Itaewon crowd crush disaster and devise ways to prevent the recurrence of such a tragedy. The ruling People Power Party already said on Thursday that it will recommend that President Yoon sung yeol veto the special bill. What's the latest? Well, the bill stipulates details on forming and operating a 17-member team to get the uh, to the heart of the crowd surge that occurred on October 29th, 2022, and led to, as I said, for 159 deaths. The main opposition Democratic Party and other opposition parties uh, passed the bill during a plenary session uh, last Tuesday with ruling party mem- uh, members uh, refusing to take part in the vote. And we'll update our listeners on what the president decides in the coming days. We'll wrap up our news briefing here now. He's in. Thank you for the bringing us those updates. Thank you.
The Yoon Sung-yeol administration has decided to try and follow through on the president's pledge to scrap the planned income tax on financial investments as well as reduce the securities transaction tax. This comes after the president vowed in his New Year's address to cut red tape in the capital market in order to overcome the so-called career discount. This is the phenomenon where local stocks have lower values or higher risk premiums compared to global assets. On today's weekly economy review, we'll hone in on this decision by the government and also the latest developments related to a workplace safety law that was set to begin in late January, but now could be facing possible delay. For that, we have joining us in the studio economics professor Yang Jun-suk from the Catholic University of Korea. Professor Yang, hello. It's great to see you. Happy to be here. Let's begin with the so-called Korea discount afflicting the local stocks and the Union administration's plans to try and address it. First is the abolishment of tax on financial investments. So under the previous administration, a bill was passed to introduce a capital gains tax on financial investments starting from 2025. But the Yun government has said it will introduce another bill to scrap the plans. Professor, can you tell us more about the proposed tax and what do you make of the government's push to scrap it? Okay, well, when you're talking about the financial investment income tax, you also have to talk about the uh, securities transactions tax at the same time because they're curiously mixed. Mm. Uh, But starting with the uh, financial investment income tax, well, a lot of countries have this. As you mentioned, the capital gains tax. The tax rates are for... uh, Gains less than 300 million won. Uh, it'll be about 22% of your uh, profits. It'll only pay the tax once you put the money out from your savings, uh, out from your investment, and you cash it in. Uh, that's when your uh, profits or losses are realized. Mm. Uh, if uh, your gains are above 300 million won, then any amount over 300, profit over 300 uh, million won, uh, the tax rate will be 27.5%. Uh, now, uh, in some sense, this type of a financial investment income tax is overdue. Virtually all countries have some form of uh, capital gains income tax like this. Uh, but believe it or not, in Korea, we didn't have this type of a tax on profit, but rather uh, you had taxes on transactions. So I guess we'll talk about that a bit later on. But the idea was let's reduce the transactions tax or transaction fee, actually, uh, and increase and make up that revenue from the uh, financial uh, investment income tax. And this is in a sense, more desirable because, well, you're following the principle that uh, it's income that should be taxed. Um, And previously, you weren't really taxed on this financial uh, gains income. Mm. Uh, And then if you have too much of a transaction cost in your uh, stock transactions or financial transactions, uh, then there will be less transactions, which means perhaps a slower-moving stock market uh, the uh, stock market price is supposed to represent the state of the uh, companies involved. But if you have too much of a uh, transactions tax uh, and not enough transactions, then that price may be distorted. Uh, so in that sense, the principle, uh, I think, is correct. Uh, but the uh, president has said that uh, he would scrap the financial income tax. Uh, you could say that that is uh, if you have less taxes on investment, then there will be more investment. So in that sense, you could say that it's desirable. Mm. But the problem is, where do you make up uh, that tax revenue? Um, and 
if you had a choice between, say, securities transactions tax and uh, financial income tax, then it may be better to have an income tax rather than a uh, transaction uh, tax or transaction fee. Uh, but uh, right now, President Yoon is saying that he'll get rid of both. Uh, the uh, the uh, tax was originally meant to go uh, in effect from uh, 2023, but it was delayed until 2025. And now they're saying, well, at least if the President Yoon's proposal goes through and it needs to be passed the National Assembly, right. then it means that there will be uh, no taxes at all, uh, which was where it was uh, in the uh, beginning before we started all this conversation. Right. So just for reference for our listeners as well, you said uh, this would kick in essentially from 300 million won. That's around 225,000 US dollars. So uh, quite a large amount you would need a profit for, for this uh, capital gains tax that comes in. So then, as you said, there's the securities transaction tax as well, which is essentially, as you said, a fee whenever money is put into or taken out of the stock markets. The Union administration is set to lower the tax rate on that uh, as initially planned as well. So from 0.2% to 0.18 this year and then 0.15% this year. So what do you make of this part of that decision as well then? Okay, well, this is where Korean government uh, used to get revenues from financial transactions. And this fee, well... It's called a tax, but you can really think of it as a fee because you get charged on it whether you made money in the market or not. Mm. And that was a big complaint from a lot of stock and uh, uh, bond investors because, well, even if you lose money, uh, you would have to pay taxes on it. Uh, Now, uh, most uh, advanced uh, countries, uh, advanced financial markets do not really have a transactions tax. Uh, there are some countries which do, Hong Kong and Singapore, uh, but their tax rates are very low, 0.15%. Uh, Korean rates, uh, as it was originally set out in the law, is actually 0.35% to 0.45%, but they made some exemptions for uh, stocks which are traded in KOSPI and KOSDAQ, so the effective rate for those stocks have been 0. 0.23%, and the idea was to reduce uh, the rates on this to 0.18%, uh, which is around the amount that's uh, in Hong Kong and Singapore, but still a bit higher. Now, the uh, current uh, President Yoon's proposal is to reduce this to about the same rate as Hong Kong and Singapore, which is 0.15%. Uh, but anecdotally, Korean stocks on the whole are more volatile and number of transactions are higher than in uh, the uh, other uh, stock markets. So it probably uh, is more of a burden on Korean investors or uh investors who uh, invest in Korea uh, rather than invest elsewhere. Now, the idea of reducing these taxes are fine, uh, but I think it really makes more sense to just eliminate securities uh, transactions tax altogether, uh, have a financial income tax perhaps, but the real, I think, uh, ideal solution is to just uh, have one income tax whether it's labor income or financial income, and use the same common uh, tax rate framework for all of it, that'll probably have the least distortion in the uh, economy. 
Okay, well, this is the proposal by the administration, but as you said, it depends on whether it can be passed at the National Assembly, and that could be difficult, especially because the uh, main opposition Democratic Party have the majority in Parliament, and they won't be looking to give any favours ahead of the elections. Uh, We'll see if there's any compromise that can be met on that. Uh, And I guess the same goes for another bill that we want to talk about today, and that's uh, President Yun, who has called on the National Assembly to pass a... Uh, workplace safety law. The bill is aimed at extending the grace period on the expansion of the Serious Accidents Punishment Act. So from January 27th, this law is set to be expanded to include businesses with fewer than 50 employees. At Tuesday's Cabinet meeting, Yun said that while protecting the safety of workers is important, punishment is not the best solution, emphasising that more time should be allowed in consideration of the realistic situations faced by small to medium-sized enterprises. So for our listeners, can you briefly walk us through this situation uh, and this law? What is it and how did it come about? Okay, well, problem is Korea has more industrial accidents and death from these industrial accidents than most other advanced economies. OECD had ranked Korea as the country with the highest number of deaths from uh, 1979 to 2015, and even in 2019, we were ranked fifth. Now, there's some controversy over the numbers, whether it's mutually compatible with other countries, but still, uh, no one's denying that Korea's uh, workplace is perhaps more dangerous. Uh, So in uh, 2021, the Serious Accident Punishment Act was passed mostly by the uh, then-in-power Democratic Party, which is the opposition party right now, and it was phased in for larger companies on January 2022. Uh, But there always have been complaints about that law because Well, why is the owner responsible? Uh, Owner uh, may not uh, be responsible for what's going on in, say, uh, the uh, construction, actual uh, construction field, actual work on the ground. He may not be able to control what's happening on the factory. Uh, A lot of some of these cases are because workers are in too much of a hurry. The labor unions accuse management of forcing them to work fast, but sometimes uh, workers may be just careless. We all heard about how Korea has this culture of carelessness when it comes to safety. Uh, So a lot of uh, owners and management have been very angry that they've been made uh, unilaterally responsible for workplace deaths. Uh, And they've been saying that uh, this may actually uh, represent a big uh, cost increase, uh, both in terms of monetary cost and in terms of, say, uh, uh, burden on the management. Uh, and smaller companies were supposed to phase in uh, this year, uh, but because there have been so much complaint and so much uh, concern, especially since the law is not specific about when the owners are responsible, uh, that uh, there has been a, so much complaints about this that uh, a lot of people argue that this is too much of a burden on small and medium-sized companies, and that's why President Yoon is considering extending the grace period for these smaller firms that have less than 50 employees. Right, so on one hand, we want to improve industrial safety standards, but on the other hand, we're concerned about the burden this puts on uh, small business owners. What do you make of President Yoon's push now to try and delay the uh, delay the onset of this law? Well, the idea of the law is that if you make the law forceful enough, then the management will force uh, the workers to work slower, perhaps, uh, keep to the uh, safety regulations, uh, and management will not force the uh, workers to work quickly. Uh, problem is, how effective has it been? And 
the numbers right now, it does seem slight improvement, but uh, perhaps not a whole lot. And the uh, question becomes whether this is a just uh, law that is effective and useful, or is it just punitive, just mm. uh, for show? And right now, the evidence is mixed. I would prefer having a longer grace period so that we can actually see whether this law is effective or not. Okay. Well, I guess we'll see uh, how uh, the administration deals with the situation, especially, again, because I believe it has to be passed at the National mm. Assembly this time as well. Professor, there was one more topic that we want to get your thoughts on, and that was milk prices, because milk prices increased about 10% last year, growing at the steepest pace in 14 years since the global financial crisis in 2009. To be exact, it went up 9.9% from a year earlier. It's far higher than, the, of course, the headline inflation of 3.6% last year. So, Professor, why are milk prices in particular going up, and what concerns uh, should we have about that? Well, it's basically going up because of politics. And now, no one's denying the cost cost of uh, producing milk has gone up uh, because of the global inflation on grains. The uh, price for foodstuff for dairy uh, cows has gone up. Uh, but the thing is, the Korean prices for raw milk is not set by the market, but it's set by the government. And last year, the government raised the price of raw milk uh, by 88 won per liter uh, to 1,084 won per liter uh, for uh, drinking milk. And raised it by 87 won to 887 won per liter for milk that's used for butter and cheese. And actually, there's milk left over. Uh, so like rice, uh, there's too much being produced, partially because prices are too, uh, perhaps uh, set too high, but government has raised it further uh, because, uh, as I said, the uh, cost of uh, grains, foods to, uh, uh, food for livestock had gone up. Uh, but you've got to wonder if this is a wise solution because it leads to uh, what we call milk inflation, uh, rising prices for everything which uses milk, not just butter and cheese, but uh, coffee, uh, cake, bread, and so on. Uh, and it doesn't rise by just this 88 won per liter because there's labor costs involved, there's transportation costs involved. All of that has been going up. And uh, sometimes the uh, milk companies and bread companies use uh, the rise in uh, milk prices as one uh, justification for raising prices, not just for milk, uh, raw milk, but also for these labor costs. Uh, so you've got to wonder whether it's time for restructuring to have uh, – policies in place where you produce less milk. Okay, we're out of time, so we're going to have to leave it there. Professor, as always, thank you for your analysis, and we'll talk again next time. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index gained 32.70 points, or 1.34% on Friday, to close at 2,472.74. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also rose, gaining 2.34 points, or 0.28%, to close at 842.67. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 0.71 against the U.S. dollar, to close at 1,339.1. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. Next up is our daily segment, Korea Trending, 
where we take a look at some other news stories that have been trending online. And for that, we have with us in the studio now, news editor Daniel Chair. Daniel, hello. It's good to see you. Hello. It's good to see you too, Jango. Okay, so what do you have for us first today? There are many questions about the legal boundaries surrounding surveillance cameras and businesses. Some of the frequently asked questions include, is it okay for employers to install cameras to monitor employee productivity? And a customer at my cafe wants to check the CCTV to find out who took the wallet they left behind accidentally. Can I show them? So to provide answers to these FAQs or facts and more, the Personal Information Protection Commission unveiled updated guidelines related to CCTV operations on Friday. Yes, this is quite interesting. CCTV can be very useful, of course, in helping catch thieves and criminals. But on the other hand, there is the question of infringing on people's right to privacy. So these updated guidelines are to help clear up any confusion then? Yes, they include the ones established in September, which do have clear answers and explanations to the two burning questions I previously mentioned. For companies, you need to have at least 30 full-time employees to qualify as an establishment that can install CCTVs for monitoring employees. But before installing consent from them, employees or labor unions are needed. Unilaterally installing them without consent would be illegal. As for customers seeking to check CCTV footage to solve possible theft, it can only be allowed if the in line with relevant privacy laws. Right, and there are also limits on how much they can see, right? Right, even when providing access to the footage, customers should be limited to viewing only the bare minimal length of the recorded content, and they should not be allowed to capture or save such content for personal possession. In both instances of setting up cameras for offices and establishments like cafes, the most basic requirement is to have the cameras installed in a way that they are clearly visible to the employees or customers. For more details, log on to the Personal Information Protection Commission website, and the Commission also plans to conduct online and in-person education on relevant laws for various facilities. It sounds like it could be a very useful resource indeed. Uh, let's move on to our second story now. What do you have for us? In the world of sports, at Casey Fair, the teenager who became the youngest player to compete in the World Cup at just 16 years and 26 days old is set to begin her pro career. Yes, she is a Korean-American who competed with the Korean national team at the Women's World Cup last year. The inclusion of the young rising star was seen as quite a coup for the KFA as well. Understand that she'll be playing in the uh, National Women's Soccer League in the US. So where will she be playing? Los Angeles club Angel City FC is where she'll be playing her new home in the U.S. Pro League. It was made official that she will don their uniform on the club's website on Thursday local time. The NWSL is considered to be the two top women's football leagues alongside England's Women's Super League. The U.S. League has 14 teams competing for supremacy. Angel City wrapped up its maiden season in the league in eighth place in 2022. And last year, they climbed all the way up to the fifth. And she set to set another record with this move as well, right? Yes, Casey, born in 2007 between a Korean mom and an American dad, also becomes the youngest player ever to be drafted by the team. She jumped straight to the pros after spending some time honing her skills at the Players Development Academy. She was able to skip college and transition to the league despite being 16, thanks to the under-18 entry mechanism. And this mechanism allows teams to sign players under 18 years old outside of the draft. And in accordance with the system, she is signed through the year 2026. 
Well, so clearly there's a lot of excitement about her, and it seems she's not letting her young age stop her from reaching the highest levels. Yes, uh, she's standing at 1.78 meters tall and probably still growing. She has the natural physical gift that enables her to outmuscle most opponents with ease, a feat she clearly demonstrated while hustling against German players during the World Cup. Casey said the World Cup experience helped her make up her mind about going pro early. Angel City manager Becky Tweet said she would never have believed Casey's real age if she saw her in action without that knowledge. Well, there are certainly high hopes for her. Hopefully she will continue to develop and we really could have a major star on our hands. We'll have to see. Uh, let's move on to our last story. What else has been trending today? T.O.U. could make Korean film history by becoming the first Korean to win Best Actor at the BAFTA Film Awards, which will be held next month. Yes, this is all thanks to the movie Past Lives, of course, which we've talked about quite a lot over the past year, earning rave reviews across the globe. Uh, can you tell us more about Tell-You's nomination? Yes, the British Academy of Film and Television Arts announced on Thursday, local time, that Past Lives, directed by Korean-Canadian filmmaker Celine Song, earned three BAFTA nominations, film not in the English language, original screenplay, and leading actor. Korean films are no strangers to the prestigious British awards, with Park Chan-wook's The Handmaiden winning the Best Foreign Film Award in 2018, and Yoon Yeo-jung earning Best Supporting Actress for Minari in 2021. So even if T.O.U. is pitted against strong competition, like some names you may have heard, uh, Bradley Cooper and uh, Cillian Murphy, uh, starring movies like Maestro and Oppenheimer, there's a chance another historic night could unfold. Yes, BAFTA nominations are just one of the many that past lives has been earning so far, right? Right, co-invested and distributed by Korea's CJENM and America's A24, past lives shows two young Koreans who moved overseas reuniting after they grew up, touching on the theme of people that are destined to meet. The director of the movie, Celine Song, is actually the daughter of legendary Korean director Song Nung-han, a love for his mega-hits like Number 3, which helped launch the career of superstars like Che Min-sik and Song Kang-ho. A first unveiled at the Sundance Film Festival, past lives received continued, inv- continued invitations to be screened at many, many more events, including the Berlin Film Festival, uh, from Golden Globe to the Critics' Choice Awards. Past Life has been earning one nomination after another. However, it has not won any award yet. Right, but there's still hype, so we'll see if Tao Yu or Celine Song or anyone else involved in the film do, puck, uh, do pick up any awards uh, in the coming weeks. That's all we have time for today's Korea Trending. Thank you for those stories, Daniel, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for having me. We've come now to Movie Spotlight, our weekly segment discussing some of the latest releases at the Korea box office and online, and getting our recommendations from our film critics, who are here with me now in the studio. First, to my right, we have Darcy Paquette. Darcy, hello, it's good to see you. Hi, it's good to be here. And then opposite him, we have Mark Raymond here with us as well. Mark, hello to you too. Nice to see you again. Yes, it's great to have you both with us once again. It is a bit of a slow week for local releases, but I understand that you have some interesting international features uh, at, at the moment that you're going to review for us, uh, which you understand that you've picked for your recommendations this week as well. Mark, let us start with you today. What is your viewing recommendation in Korea this week? Yeah, the film I'm going to 
talk about is Dumb Money, uh, which is a film that got released uh, in the fall in the United States and is now getting a limited kind of release here. Um, it's about a very recent true event uh, from uh, in the early pandemic era, 2020, 2021. So again, a really quick turnaround with this kind of true story. Um, and it's about this small-time investor named Keith Gill, who goes heavily on a stock called GameStop, um, a video um, a retail company, almost like the blockbuster of video kind of game rentals that most inventor, uh, investors did not really believe in. They felt the company was on its way out. So they started to short the stock, meaning they were betting that it was going to fail. Right? And so the title of the film actually refers to single investors like Gill, um, who Wall Street refers to as dumb money because they usually lose their money investing in these kind of stocks, whereas the smart money is the powerful kind of hedge funds. So Gill ends up amassing this kind of significant online following on Reddit and YouTube, and he and his followers start to drive up the price of the stock. And this causes widespread panic amongst uh, the hedge funds who had shorted the stock, who start losing billions of dollars basically per week uh, at one <laughs> point. And so eventually, of course, because of this, they put kind of pressure to have what is sometimes referred to as a short squeeze, meaning they're kind of going against the, the shorting of the stock, um, halted. And this leads to these kind of further congressional investigations. Uh, and so the movie basically just details basically the year of, of these events. Um, it's directed by Craig Gillespie, who also has directed similar kind of true life stories. He did the movie I, Tanya with Margot Robbie, which mm. came out about five years ago or so. And it stars Paul Dano in the lead and also has Seth Rogen, America Ferreira, and a huge kind of cast, like a lot of these true life kind of adaptations, because it's telling this huge story with all these characters. There's a lot of these kind of supporting kind of roles. Sure. I think many of our listeners will remember this story uh, in the news because it did make global headlines. Mm -hmm. And it's only from a couple of years ago or so uh, as well. So it's a movie that has been produced very quickly, a very quick turnaround from mm -hmm. the real life events. So what makes you recommend this film then, especially given how recent these events are? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, part of my recommendation is almost like I'm not really the audience for this film, and yet I still <laughs> kind of liked it, and I still kind of got something out of it. And I don't know if maybe maybe I liked it more than somebody who's really into the subject would, because a lot of it was, I mean, of course, like, like you said, I heard of this story, the GameStop right. story, because it was everywhere. But because I'm kind of allergic to investing and things like that, I'm not. It's not my thing at all. Uh, not my interest. I didn't really go deep into figuring out what it was. I was sure. like, okay, yeah, it's something about the stock market. I don't care. But uh, and uh, and so and I'm also not somebody who's particularly online, which is a very online story. So Reddit, YouTube, and how these communities kind of formed and how this kind of put a wrinkle into the kind of power of these kind of hedge funds. You so, think this film is directed at that audience then? I, that's the audience well, you think is. Well, I think partly in the style as well, it does have, and that's part of the movie I didn't like as much, but at the same time, I understood why they were doing the style because they mm. wanted to try to recreate what it was like to be online with his, uh, with this uh, YouTuber. And the performance by Paul Dano is quite good. Mm. And he really... Um, uh, kind of gets into this guy's psychology, why he connects with all these people, um, 
and he in the fact that he has almost like this ideological purpose on top of just making money to what he's doing and that it kind of attracts these people so i found all of that kind of very interesting it does a very good job of explaining the what happened like like what is it much better than, than actually a lot of the documentaries on the subject did i think actually <laughs> uh it's it's because uh, again it does a very good job of you know for somebody like myself who does not know anything and at the end of the movie i was like yeah i kind of understand what happened here on the basic the basic idea of what occurred so that's kind of what i recommend the film really for the performances for uh, it's kind of clear depiction of what happened why it's important um interestingly it's almost even somewhat um uh at the end somewhat optimistic in the in the ability of bringing this kind of uh the ability of online culture to kind mm. of uh, be organized for rebellion. And even if I don't really wasn't all that convinced of that, I at least <laughs> I did. We have enough movies that and enough television shows and culture generally that's very skeptical about social media, online right. culture nowadays, right. that I was fine with a kind of an alternative kind of view on that. So, yeah, ultimately, I don't think it's a great film, but I thought pretty interesting, fairly well done. And again... Um, hard to say again. I'm wondering if somebody who is really into this story might find it less compelling because mm, right. they already know it. But for and I, I think that's a lot. Of, that's all, often the case of a lot of these true life stories. Sometimes it's better if you don't know too much. You tend to maybe enjoy the story a bit more. Right. So but, it's almost like a, a fun, almost even a documentary, a sort of recreation of mm -hmm. what happened, but done with uh, some of these A-list stars. Mm -hmm. uh, Darcy, what did you think of it? Did you catch it as well? Yeah, I mean, I guess the touchstone of this film might be um, something like The Big Short, mm -hmm. which came out a number of years ago and which was also about kind of a real-life event that affected the economy, although on a much bigger scale. Mm -hmm. And in a way, uh, I don't think this film quite lives up to that film. Um, right, the okay. Big Short was. No, it doesn't. But... <laughs> you know, the stakes were bigger, the, it was a, a more important event, and, uh, and just a really real well-made creative film and so this does kind of exist in the shadow of that to a certain extent mm. but, but i do love paul dano i think he's <laughs> he's such a good actor and um you know he's uh he's not like a huge star in the sense that he headlines you know big commercial films but um yeah i mean people who watch a lot of movies tend to really enjoy his performances and and this is just a good example because it's uh you know it's kind of a you know a quirky character but he really puts life into it mm. and uh his performance i think drives the movie in in a lot of ways and so so yeah i, I mean me too i remember this event uh when it was in the news and i read a little bit about it uh didn't really go into it in too depth uh you know watching this film it's like an entertaining two hours and then it helps you understand the world a little better <laughs> so, even though i wouldn't i wouldn't say i loved it or anything like that but i um i didn't regret the time that i spent watching it Sure. Uh, I guess uh, a light thumbs up from both of our critics there. That was Dumb Money. It has the same alliterated title in Korean as well. And you can currently catch it in select theatres here in Korea. Darcy, let's move on to your recommendation now. What was your pick of the week? OK, this is kind of a, a special movie in the sense that it's the, the last film by a director who has had a very long and influential career. Uh, the director is Ken Loach. And so it's a British film. Uh, it's called The Old Oak, 
and it premiered at the Cannes Film Festival last year, and it just opened in Korea this week. Uh, I mean, Ken Loach, for viewers who aren't familiar with him, he, his career stretches back to the 1960s. He's done a lot, both on TV and in film. Uh, he has a film from 1969 called Kess, which is one of the all-time classics of British cinema, uh, recently voted like number seven <laughs> among the best British films ever made. Uh, and then he's won the, the top prize at the Cannes Film Festival twice. And there are only a handful of directors who've ever done that. But he won in 2006 for The Wind That Shakes the Barley. And then in 2016 for a movie called I, Daniel Blake, uh, which, yeah, I mean, the, um, I'll talk about this film in a moment, but I do want to recommend I, Dan I Daniel Blake as well for anybody <laughs> sure. who's interested. Um, yeah, he's famous for films that contain strong doses of social criticism. And of course, you could say that about the British film industry in general, like it's kind of famous for kitchen sink dramas and everything else. But but he's really kind of carved out an important place in film history with his mm. style. And if you say a Ken, Ken Loach type film, everybody knows what you're talking about. Um, I mean, he's now 87 years old. And he says that this is his last film. Uh, you can't always trust directors when they say that. Sometimes <laughs> they get bored in retirement and then decide to come back for one more. But uh, it does seem likely that this will be his last film. And for no other reason than that, you know, it's worth watching to kind of mark the end of this great career of his. Sure. Uh, directors like uh, Miyazaki and yes. Steven Soderbergh <laughs> come to mind when we say about uh, uh, short-lived retirements by famous directors. Okay, so The Old Oak in Korea, uh, the title is Nae Old Oak, which translates to My Old Oak. So, Darcy, can you tell us a bit more about the storyline, what it's about? Yes. Um, the, the title refers to a pub, and so there's a pub in this small working-class town that's called The Old Oak. And uh, like everything else in the town, the pub is kind of struggling. And it's a community that used to be really centred around a coal mine. And then, you know, there was some labor unrest in the 60s and the you know like a lot of the coal mines around the world it eventually kind of fell on hard times this was shut down and the, the town has really been kind of hollowed out um you know at the beginning the film makes reference to the fact that the real estate market has just kind of completely crashed and mm. that people are buying up uh you know these funds from other countries are buying up apartments for just outrageously low prices and so people who live in the town you know their their homes are worthless and they're um yeah it's just it's a really depressing kind of place to live and then uh but a lot of new people start moving into the town and this community uh you know it's syrian refugees who are being resettled in the town mm. uh, in one sense it you know it makes sense because the housing is cheap and they can kind of restart their lives there but it it does cause a lot of tension among right. the people who had lived there originally uh, so the plot focuses on the owner of the pub who's a middle-aged man kind of struggling to keep things going uh, there's a young syrian woman who's just moved in and the two of them end up becoming kind of allies in an effort to try to revive the community uh, both for the newcomers and then also the, the people who lived there previously right and so darcy you think the film works then it does. I, I mean, there, there are kind of two... I have two minds about the film, and there are two ways to watch the film. Because, um, you know, he's a master at kind of exploring these different issues and bringing them up in a way that's very vivid and that pulls you into the story. Uh, with a lot of his films, if you read the synopsis, it sounds like a miserable way to spend two hours. But then <laughs> when you actually sit down and start watching the film, it pulls you right in. Mm. Um, I think that 
you know, if we kind of step back and, you know, from a more cold-hearted perspective, try to evaluate the film as a film critic, uh, you know, it's not as subtle as some of his other films have been. Mm. And it also doesn't have the strength of movies like I, Daniel Blake or, you know, other films in the past. Uh, this one, I mean, some people have called it a bit sentimental. Um, I don't know if that's quite the right word, but the characters express themselves in a very direct kind of way. They mm. just speak whatever's right. in their hearts. <laughs> and, you know, in real life, people don't, often speak that way and then some of the conflicts in the film are resolved quite easily uh, even if on the whole you know it has a very realistic view on life and so so it's sort of a mix i i do recommend the film uh, right it's it's not as realistic as some of his other films but it is really engaging i think right it's not his best work but it's still a ken loach uh, film mark uh, did you catch it what do you think of it yeah i had a interesting in, like, uh, in terms of Darcy's response um, I felt that way about I. Daniel Blake and his last <laughs> film Sorry uh, to Have Missed You I believe it was called yeah. I found those a bit too on the nose and too like kind of manipulative and even though I agreed with the politics of those films and I agree with a lot of the leftist politics this one I liked a lot more interestingly mm. I felt it, maybe it's the issue more than the execution I don't know like the immigration issues one that I'm quite passionate about and so maybe i just kind of ignored maybe the flaws just because i <laughs> i uh, agreed with them and i thought it i thought the ending of this film also very moving and uh mm. and uh so I, I really i really liked this one i thought it worked a little bit better i didn't really it's there's always like a tricky kind of balance when you're trying to make an issue film and like how much do you push the issue and if you push it too much does it just become like didactic and you feel like you're, you're being preached at and I found that a little bit with right. I, Daniel Blake and less so with this one so yeah I really like this film and I would recommend it as well yeah still sounds like a very interesting film in fact two very interesting foreign films to look out for this week and uh, that's where we're going to wrap it up Darcy, Mark thank you for your recommendations and you. we'll catch you again next time okay have a great day Claudia Cardenas, Taekwondo world medalist from Ecuador and founder of Himchari Dubyang. You are now listening to Korea 24 on KBS World Radio. It's time now for our Friday closing segment next week from Seoul, where we look at what's coming up in the days ahead. And joining me in the studio today, it is our wonderful staff editor, Richard Larkin. Richard, hello. It's good to see you again. Hello. Good to see you too. Okay. So what's the first thing we should look out for? Well, the Serious Crime Personal Information Disclosure Act will come into effect next Thursday. For our listeners who may not know what that is, it is an act that allows authorities to release the mugshots of suspects arrested for serious crimes without their consent. Yes, this has become an important topic in Korea, especially last year when there were some high-profile mm. murder cases. Right. The issue arose after authorities used out-of-date photos on driver's licenses and ID cards. As they were years old, uh, the picture did not resemble what the offenders actually looked like. Mm. So the National Assembly voted 215 to 0 in favour of this bill, and it was passed in October last year. It was difficult to take or disclose updated mugshots without the suspect's uh, consent. But with the change, that won't be the case anymore. 
The bill also widens the range of criminals whose mugshots can be disclosed. In the past, only mugshots are those who committed specific violent crimes, like homicide and sexual violence, using lethal weapons were disclosed. It will now include offences such as sexual assault against minors, treason, rebellion, deadly arson, and drug-related crimes and other organised crimes. Right, so from now on, it looks like we're going to be seeing more mugshots in the news. It is going to be quite the landmark change. Let's continue on to our second story. What do you have for us? Next is something that we've actually talked about on the show before. The Climate Companion Card, a pass that allows unlimited rides on Seoul subway and city and village buses, Mm. will kick off on a pilot basis from next Tuesday. There are two payment options. Uh, first is the 62,001 option that works out to be about 46 US dollars. This will get you unlimited rides in Seoul subway and city and village buses like I mentioned earlier. Then there is the 65,001 or $48 option. This gets you the perks above but also allows you uh, allows people to use Seoul's public bicycle service, Darangi. Yeah, so unlimited ride, something that will be very much welcomed by many Seoulites. Mm. And there are two ways of using it, right? Yeah, there is a physical card and a mobile card. Sorry, iPhone users, but the mobile card only works with Android phones. Right. So those who don't have uh, Android uh, will need to get a physical version. There are different ways to get the physical cards. They cost around 3001 and can be bought at customer safety offices between Seoul Station and Cheongnangli Station on Line 1 and our offices on Line 2 and 8. For those who take uh, Line 9, you can get yourself a card at nearby convenience stores. Right, so another major development for those living in Seoul. Okay, let's look at one more. What else should we keep an eye out for next week? The 31st Tebek Mountain Snow Festival will kick off in Tebek City, Gangwon Province, next Friday. It's one of the most popular winter festivals in the country and has been held every year since 1994. Visitors can experience various programs like a snow carving contest, snow sculpture exhibition, ice sledding and more. Snow sculptures that reflect the times are the main event at this festival. In previous years, visitors were able to see King Kong in 2006, Gwanga Moon in 2009. <laughs> and Sai in 2013, they all became very popular. I saw some of the pictures actually looked really cool as well. <laughs> there are a total of 39 snow sculptures on display this year, and it will be interesting to see what will be on show until February 4th. Indeed, so that's that to look out for next week. That is where we're going to leave it for today, Richard. Thank you for those previews, and we'll see you again next time. Take care. See you next time. That's where we leave it for our show today. We'll be back on Monday, so we hope you can join us again then. I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye.